morning, Crosswalk. Good to see you guys. Thanks for coming uh, today. Note to self, when talking about suicide, don't promote that that's your topic. We're a little light today. Um, but who knows, maybe people are sleeping, and I know there's a lot happening in other places this weekend. I know some of our, some of our leadership uh, this weekend are in places uh, addressing some family things that are happening that are tough, some losses uh, and other things. So we, we keep our people in their prayers. We do want to think about uh, one of the people connected to us, uh, which is, uh, you know, all of our high school teams uh, are up in Walla Walla, and they're playing what they call the Fall Classic Tournament, where they all get to play each other. Um, and I know this because I got reports from parents that are up in Walla Walla that uh, our kids that are part of Crosswalk that go to Portland Adventist Academy, the soccer team is playing for the championship tonight. So we're excited for them in that. Celebrate. Go Cougars, which as someone who went to another high school across the river was something I never thought I'd say. But go Cougars. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm a Kodiak. I bleed, I bleed blue and yellow, I think. It's blue and yellow? Blue, <laughs> that's right. Anyway, Adventist high schools so were so competitive. Um, anyway, so we're thinking about them and, and the people gone. But we are glad you're here because this is a topic that we need to spend time with and, and something we need to talk more about in the church. Now, first of all, I just want to say, if you were with us last weekend, it was a big weekend as we celebrated two years uh, here being planted. Uh, we're so excited at everything. We spent those, that, that time last weekend. We had good crowds. We had a great block party Saturday night with, with almost 300 people that came out to that. And a third of those were from the community which was so exciting, people that live around here. There was a couple, I don't know, I didn't see them yet this morning. They just moved into the area, and they, they with uh, uh, Yuli, if you know Yuli, she's the one smiling all the time in the lobby, um, but Yuli was talking to them, and I came over, and I talked with them, and they had this realization when they asked about our church, and we said, oh, we meet on Saturdays, and they both were like, wait, you mean we can go to church and not miss one NFL game? And we're like, Yes, you can. I don't know why the Adventist church hasn't been using that as a, as a line. We use the beast, but we haven't talked about football. Come on, people. Uh, anyway, so it was cool. It was fun. We had a great time. Uh, and again, one of our goals here as a church is to make sure this community knows we exist um, and that we love on this community and we serve this community. Um, it's one of the things that we're here for. And so we were excited to do that, but I also love the message that Pastor Tim brought with us. Pastor Tim, our teaching pastor from uh, Redlands, uh, who, uh, you know, the vision of what God gave him is what has allowed us to plant. That's what allowed Chattanooga Church to plant. That's what allowed our other communities and churches around the world to plant with more groups coming. It's so exciting because one of our core values is momentum. We believe in being a community of belonging, a community of momentum, and a community of experience, and those things matter a lot to us. But one of the things that Pastor Tim said is that now that we have established this church, now this church becomes not for us in the room, but it becomes for the next person that's going to walk in our doors the next person that is going to need a place of love and belonging. So as a part of that, today and in a couple of weeks, we're having an event that we call Move. How do you feel that God is calling you to move and join his movement, a part of Crosswalk? How do you love well here uh, with us? And there's so many different ways to do that, you guys, and we need help. 
We need help to continue to move. We need help to continue so you know, our leaders don't burn out and our volunteers that are serving. And you can, you can help out at whatever level. I know some of you are super busy, but we're talking about if you do one weekend every six weeks, then we'd love to have you. It's such a joy to be involved in service because when we serve others, when we love others, as is our call, then for that moment, um, our life begins to have a point because we are not the point of our lives. And so we hope you will join us in the movement. If you're not sure where that is yet, hit that QR code or take one of the cards in the lobby and, and think about it, pray about it. Um, and if you don't know where to get involved, like we have people that would love to talk to you about that. So that event's happening today. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks when there's less going on um, in our little world, uh, but we're excited for that. So back to our series on Unbroken. So we have been exploring in this series mental health and faith. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you're not following the series guide, you can do that on our app, Crosswalk app. You can do that online as well. Um, there's also a podcast we're putting out weekly called Sacred e- The Sacred Echo. Um, and that's specifically talking about the sermon series uh, where Pastor Tim, Pastor Dave Ferguson from Chattanooga and I all talk about the sermon uh, from the previous weekend. Um, and then you can also go online and listen to our different sermons uh, that get posted. So as a way to just kind of hear different perspectives uh, in that. So I encourage you to engage. But we've been talking about mental health and faith and how those things are related. And we talked about um, Jesus in the wilderness when he was tempted and how physical uh, health affects mental health, but also how the devil may play a role um, at times in that, in our mental health. And uh, we took a break last week, but we'll catch up on that in a few weeks' time. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about one of my favorite stories to look at when I struggle, which is the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's one of my, it's it's weird to say one of my favorite stories, but, but really, when you look at the human struggle, It's a powerful story to explore. And so we'll do that next weekend. Uh, But our topic for today is a heavy one, one that many have struggled with uh, in one way or another and been impacted by, and that is simply suicide. We're gonna spend a little time talking about suicide. We're gonna begin with some statistics. Last year, in 2022, they recorded the highest number of suicides in our country that's ever been recorded, which is almost 50,000 suicides. The, uh, uh, yeah, white males actually commit suicide at a higher rate than any other gender or ethnicity. The highest age group for suicide are those over 85 years old. The next highest is those that are 75, oh, sorry, 75 to 85, um, and then 25 to 34. Um, the only, it's not a bright spot, but the only good news um, uh, is that the uh, younger age population, 15 and 24, that dropped to 15% uh, recently, but it's still the third leading cause of death for their age group. Now, that first number of 50,000, that's up 3% from last year, and it's up 6% from the year before. So the pandemic didn't do us any favors, and even though the 15 to 24 dropped, any percentage is too high. And then, last year, 1.2 million attempted suicide, equaling, equaling one attempt every 26 seconds. And that's just in the United States. It's likely that some of you in this room, 
I already had that last one. Some of you in this room have at some point struggled with suicidal ideation or thoughts or you've been impacted by someone who committed suicide. And the grief that's related to those left behind in a suicide is intense. So many studies speak to the challenges of those left behind, including the grief that never fully goes away. And it's laced with what if kind of questions. What if I had done something differently? What if I had said something wrong? Bereavement from suicide can ruin a life just as much as the actual suicide does. One Saturday afternoon several years ago, um, I found myself, I guess I'm, I'm I'm behind on my slides, uh, the what if questions. But uh, several years ago, I found myself um, driving to my brother-in-law's uh, church. It's where, you know, yeah, it's my sister-in-law and her husband. I always call my brother-in-law. I know that's a little wonky. But, um, but I was driving to their church one afternoon not to attend church, but to perform the homily for my brother-in-law's father, who days before... My brother-in-law and sister-in-law and my niece were driving home from visiting us when they saw his truck parked along the side of the road. And they went and they saw him inside, opened the door, and he had killed himself right there on the road to their house. I guess it was his way of making sure someone would find him. A tragic end to a father, a dad, a husband, Someone who had been struggling, we think, with mental health for some time, but in the culture that he grew up in, in the, on the ranch, you man up and you deal with it. And so no one knew, and he was never diagnosed. As I drove to the church, I knew I needed to somehow be an agent of hope in the darkness that everyone was experiencing. But how? I knew that the prevailing thought within the church is that if you commit suicide, you cannot be saved. We're going to address that at the end of our time together today. But that's the prevailing thought, which robs a person, especially a Christian, of what we often hold on to at funerals, which is the idea that we'll get to see our loved ones again someday. This, of course, makes the grieving even worse, right? Because we no longer have hope. So again, grief for those who commit suicide is painful. So what could I say that would help the hurting? What could I say that would offer hope? What could I say to help ease the search for answers at a time when there are no good answers? As I got closer and closer to the church, my heart beat faster and faster, and I prayed a prayer I often pray, which was, Lord, help me help them. Thankfully, if you want to say it that way, which I think I do, Thankfully, I have had my own bout with suicidal ideation in my mental health journey, and I've shared about that journey before. But before my own struggle with suicide thoughts, I used to think suicide was just, uh, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me because it seemed like a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And it seemed like something really selfish to do as well. Because, yeah, I mean, for you, you're no longer struggling. For you, the, 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 the darkness is over, but for those that you leave behind, like they have to continue to carry that for the rest of their lives. So that's what I thought about suicide until I had my own struggle with it. What I learned is that when you're struggling and you're in that moment and you're feeling those feelings, the way you feel doesn't feel temporary. 
The way you feel doesn't feel like you're gonna get out of it. It feels like this is how it's gonna be for the rest of your life. Which is a lie, but it's a lie that you believe. And in those dark nights of the soul, I actually felt that if I would take my own life, I wasn't being selfish, I was blessing the people around me because they're having to carry me all the time through every day just so that I could survive. And so if I take away take myself out of the equation, then they don't have to carry me anymore. That's what I thought. So those are some of the issues we come to with this topic, and what I'd like to do is spend some time with a story in Scripture that, that has to do with this topic and experience well and see what we can learn from it as it relates to suicide. And, and when we, as we jump into Scripture, I just want to start off by saying that had I been the one to write the Bible, let's just imagine that for a moment, if I had been the one to write the Bible, I probably would have edited out more of the story than what the Bible includes. I probably would have taken out some of the seedy stories or some of the things that were, you know, not so appropriate that happened because I'd want to protect the reputation of my heroes, right? So I take out their failures and their weaknesses and I just leave in their strengths. It's kind of like if I were to tell my own story one day when I write my memoirs um, for all the two people that want to read it to read. If I were to write my memoirs, one of the things I would do is I would tell you about my senior year in high school, how I was a starter on the varsity basketball team. I mean, when you're over six foot tall, look, you don't have a choice. You have to play basketball. Uh, my brother is 6'8", he comes sometimes, you know, and my brother didn't play basketball, he was more of a chess guy. And so people come up to him like, hey, you play basketball, you're super tall. He's like, no, I play chess. Ah, that's interesting. Um, so anyway, you have to play. And I, I want to tell you how I was a starter, I was a great defensive player, I was a leading rebounder and shot blocker, that's what I would tell you. I wouldn't tell you about my free throw shooting percentage, which was a whopping 13%. <laughs> and, and if you know Lance Judd, he was my coach, and it was his first year out of college, and, and he likes to remind me of that every time I see him, every single time. So I would leave that part out of the story, and I would do the same thing with the stories in Scripture, but the problem is if I did that, they wouldn't be very identifiable for us. We couldn't connect with them as much, right? I mean, imagine if all we knew about Noah was that God called him, he answered, and helped save the human race from complete annihilation. And I leave out that part of where after the waters receded, he was naked and drunk. Yeah, I just, I just leave that part out, right? Or I take away Moses' stutter, and when God calls him in from the burning bush, I would have Moses grab his cape, run back to Egypt, walk into Pharaoh's room, and sound like Keanu Reeves saying, yeah, I guess I'm back, Pharaoh. That's how I would have told the story, not the part where Moses actually begs God to choose someone else, right? Uh, imagine uh, if Job and Jeremiah didn't curse the day they were born, or David's story didn't include that weird Bathsheba moment, or the disciple Peter didn't actually deny Christ, or Jesus didn't say from the Garden of Gethsemane, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Friends, this is a comment of suicide, suicidal ideation. This is Jesus saying, I would rather be dead than have to go through this moment and what's coming, right? So I'd leave those things out, but if I did, we couldn't connect with them. 
because our stories are human stories. And human stories have strength, success and failures, strengths and weaknesses, moral triumphs and moral shortcomings. Today we'll spend our time with the story of the prophet Elijah. Um, and Elijah, we find in 1 Kings, we meet him in 1 Kings 17, but we're really not told a whole lot about him. We don't know a lot about his past. We know that he was a Tishbite in Gilead, but that just tells us where he was from. We know that God gave him messages to deliver to the people and that those messages came true, so he's what we call a prophet. But that's really about it. He was a prophet during a time when false prophets and the enemies of God were numerous. In fact, we're told that Elijah was the only one of God's prophets left. The king of Israel during Elijah's time was a man named Ahab. And Ahab is listed as one of the most evil kings that ever led Israel. He went against nearly everything God commanded him to do, including marrying, marrying a pagan. Um, and he and his wife Jezebel introduced pagan worship to the Israelites, where Jezebel got them to worship her god, uh, instead of the God of Yahweh, it was clear that in their relationship, Jezebel wore the tunic in that family, if you know what I'm talking about. Right? Elijah uh, was sent to set the record straight and help Israel repent and turn back to God. This led to a famous showdown between Elijah and 400 prophets of Baal. They were on top of Mount Carmel, and it was a showdown to see which God was going to show up, which God was going to uh, prove that he actually exists. So after a day of the prophets of Baal, 400 people crying out to Baal to show up, nothing happened. I mean, during the day, Elijah makes some jokes like, you know, your, your God Baal, he's so ugly. That's what I imagine it being. Um, and he, he tells these jokes, but, but nothing happens. And then when it's Elijah's turn, God shows up in a major and mighty way, and it's clear that he alone is God. It's an incredible moment for Elijah. It is a mountaintop experience, something that he could tell his great-great-grandkids. Afterwards, King Ahab goes to Jezebel to tell, him, or to, to tell her what happened. And we don't really know what Ahab's response was. We don't know if Ahab was like, wow, this was amazing that God showed up, the God of Israel, Yahweh, he showed up, Baal didn't show up. We don't know if he was that way or if he was upset. But what we know is that when he tells Jezebel, Jezebel is angry. And she responds by sending a message to Elijah telling him that she's gonna kill him. Now you'd think that after what had just happened on Mount Carmel, Elijah could have stood up to this challenge. I mean, 400 false prophets couldn't touch Elijah or his God. What made Jezebel think she could? But even though Mount Carmel uh, was a mountaintop experience where Elijah chose to fight, when his personal life was threatened, he chose to flight. He chose to fight on Mount Carmel, flight after that. As the story goes, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. It's crazy to think about how quickly Elijah's story turned from victor to victim, from faithful to faithless. But that's not an uncommon story. It's not uncommon to have a difficult time in life after a 
celebration or a victory. We talked a few weeks ago how uh, mountaintop experiences are great. We love them, but we were never meant to live on the mountaintop because growth happens, life happens down in the valley, right? So a couple of things to take note of in this story. One, it's easy to see that in this moment, Elijah was likely physically and spiritually drained. And that is important in the conversation. Physically, he had traveled a lot of ground in the last week. In fact, some scholars think that Elijah had traveled over 300 miles, most of that on foot in the last week. So, yeah, he had to be exhausted. And spiritually, I mean, not only would it have taken a lot to uh, stand up to the constant battle from the prophets of Baal, but it's likely that Elijah thought this moment would be the moment that would turn the Israelites back to God. That's what his life was dedicated to. That's why he did everything that he did. And when that didn't happen, Elijah probably felt a sense of purposelessness, a sense of what am I here for? What difference does any of the work that I'm making do? You know, in the, in the uh, uh, previous statistic about those that are over 75 that commit suicide, part of that is related to retirement when suddenly what you've dedicated your life to, what you thought defined you, what your purpose in life was is taken away and now you wonder, well, who am I and what am I here for? And you have a sense of a loss of purpose. Well, in addition to how drained Elijah is, it's also important to note um, uh, how Elijah went into the wilderness because it tells us that he was alone. He went alone into the wilderness. Traveling this life alone is so much harder. And it's one of the devil's greatest lies trying to make us think that we are all alone in our struggles, that no one else struggles like we do. No one else knows what it's like to fight depression or anxiety or to be bipolar or to deal with shame or grief or addiction, that we're the only ones messed up. And that is so isolating. That's why sometimes church can feel so much worse because we go and it seems like everybody else has it all together. Or we spend time on social media and it seems like everybody else has this life thing figured out, so it's just me. And that is isolating. And Elijah wasn't just physically alone, he felt alone in the world. As we said, Elijah was the only prophet of God left, which he told God repeatedly, because all the other prophets of God had been killed. So he feels as if he's the only one that knows what it's like to feel what he feels, to struggle like he does, and even to be burdened with what he's burdened by. Loneliness is hard on anyone. That's why church should be the safest place to take risks, the safest place to ask questions, and the safest place to be vulnerable. I think of these words from the Apostle Peter, where he said, stay alert, Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's a great analogy because lions like to wait until their prey is away from their herd, away from their family, and then they pounce. So it's easier when you're left alone. But take note of the next verse because in it, Peter writes, Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Peter reminds those reading his letter that they are not alone. There is a family of believers to journey with who know what it's like to suffer. 
So don't let the devil separate you from others. Don't let him convince you that you're the only one, that no one else struggles like you struggle. Instead, lean on your family, and I hope here at Crosswalk, it's your church and community. It's not a perfect family, no family is, and you will still need the other tools we've talked about in the journey. You still need the things like doctors and counselors, therapists, pastors, and so on. You need your care team around you, but community is a critical tool in the journey of mental health. As we go back to Elijah's story, we see that the first thing that happens is that Elijah's physical needs are tended to. Here's what we read. It says, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again to sleep. It's hard to fight back when your physical resources are depleted. So often, the first step in getting good mental health is just taking care of yourself, eating, drinking water, sleeping. And when you're struggling to do those things, please reach out to a doctor, reach out to someone that can help you get to a place where you can take care of those essential needs. Then once Elijah gets plenty of food and sleep, he has an encounter with God. This is another famous story that, that we often talk about where Elijah has God pass by him, but God isn't in the windstorm or the earthquake or the fire. God is in this gentle whisper. God reminds him again, as he did for me in my journey, as I shared a few weeks ago, that he is with Elijah as much on the mountaintop as he is in the valley, even if it doesn't feel like it. God was with him. And friends, there is no amount of darkness that can hide us from God. As David once wrote, he said, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And I love one of the other things that comes out of this encounter with God. God tells Elijah to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah to replace you as my prophet. Interestingly enough, a total side note, um, is that if you ever want to type this verse out, just know that you will be autocorrected and it'll say, anoint Elisha, son of Snapchat. <laughs> Didn't matter how many times I tried to write Shaphat, it kept recorrecting it to Snapchat. But you're welcome that I caught it and fixed it, and then I spent the last 20 seconds talking about what actually was happening. Anyway, um, so... He gets, what happens though in this moment is that Elijah gets a partner out of all this. He was going to go from feeling all by himself in the prophet world to now having someone to teach and journey with. His work wasn't gonna be for naught. He was gonna get to pour himself into another person so that the work would continue. And more importantly, he wasn't gonna be alone anymore. So, so important. But look, I get that if any of you have struggled, are struggling, or have been impacted by someone close to you that took their life, these things are nice to hear, but it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't necessarily make you feel better. You likely feel alone right now, even if you're surrounded by a group of people. And you likely have felt as if God has abandoned you, or at least he hasn't answered any of your prayers. I know, because I felt that way too. So here's what I have to say to you today. A couple of different lists. One, 
for those that might be struggling, here's what I have. First of all, please, please reach out, get help, don't go at it alone. As hard and as scary as it is sometimes to share with other people, please share with other people because our secrets keep us sick. And people actually want to help and they want to embrace you. And please, please know that you are worth it, that we want you here, that we love you. Don't listen to the lies of the devil that you're not worth it or that you're a burden on other people. Rebuke those thoughts in the name of Jesus. Know that you are a child of God in whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased and that is the most true thing about you. And here at Crosswalk, we love you too. Know that, please. And please know that God is with you even when it doesn't feel like it. And this one is hard. And I will tell you this, and not that everything that worked for me would help you, but I found a hero of the faith in my own mental health journey, and that hero for me was Mother Teresa. Mother, all four foot nine, Mother Teresa, who made such a huge impact in the world, but from the moment she accepted the call to follow Jesus and devote fully to him, she struggled to feel the presence of God for the rest of her life. But she still continued to serve him and love him because she knew what she didn't feel. She knew that God loved her and that God was with her even though she couldn't feel it. And I think, man, if, if Mother Teresa can go through that, maybe, maybe there's hope for someone like me. So the other thing is that please, please don't give up. Please don't give up. Please don't give up. And if you wonder how to help someone who might be struggling with thoughts of suicide, here are a few quick things to do. There are more resources in the back. And folks, I'm just touching on the surface of a lot of things here. So there's more to this. We even have some incredible people in our community that do this for their work. So reach out to us, please. But here's a couple of things. One, be direct. Have you thought about suicide? Statistically, it shows that those that actually are direct use the word suicide. You don't plant the seed by using the word. Likely, if you're asking that question, it's because the seed's already been planted in them somewhere along the way. And so ask the question, be direct. If they have, then keep asking uh, questions, right? So ask, have you considered how you would do it? If they've considered how, then ask if they actually have access to do those things. And depending on where that goes, well, it doesn't matter where it goes, actually. If they're struggling, the next thing really to do is to get help. 988 is a new service to call. I encourage you, connect them with others. Connect them with the care team. Connect them with people who can help, right? You don't have to take on the burden that your, their life is in your hands. That's a tough weight to carry. But connecting them to people that will help is important. And once they've connected to help, whatever it is they're going through, whatever the rest of that journey is, follow up. Go back and see how they're doing. Check in on them and let them know that they are loved. And for those of you who have lost a loved one to suicide, I'm so sorry for the pain that you have been through. It's unimaginable. And we were never meant to have to endure anything like that. But don't journey with that grief alone either. Before we close, we have to wrestle real quick with the question, can someone who commits suicide be saved? Will they be in heaven? Whenever I talk about any questions concerning salvation, I always begin with these words from Peter. 
who said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. If it were up to God, he would save all of us. No questions asked, right? He would save all of us. We actually have to refuse the gift of salvation. We have to turn away. So do I think someone who commits suicide can still be saved? Absolutely. Remember, God is actually trying to save us, not keep us out. Now, maybe there was a period of time, in fact, you can trace the history back to Augustine, where suicide became known as the unpardonable sin because you couldn't ask for forgiveness, um, you know, uh, and, and that. But, but again, my experience, others that I've talked to, when you make that choice, you are often not in a good frame of mind. When you make that choice, you have chosen to believe lies about yourself or lies about the world. And here's the truth of the matter. Jesus is never done working on you and in you and through you. Jesus wants you to know that he loves you more than anything else. In fact, Jesus didn't, couldn't imagine living forever without you, and so he gave his life for you. Jesus came so that we may have life and life abundantly. It's the devil that tries to steal, kill, and destroy. So remember those things. Don't let the devil be the author of your life. Let Jesus do that. Because with Jesus, there is hope. With Jesus, there is healing. With Jesus, we can long for resurrection day when the broken are made whole. At my brother-in-law's dad's funeral, amidst the pain and the tears, I talked about the hope of resurrection day when his dad will be restored in body and in mind. That's the hope we all have, a hope I long for every day, the hope of resurrection and restoration where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, no more loneliness, no more fear, no more lies, only us with each other and us with Jesus forever. Until then, let us love one another well listen to one another, hurt with one another, cry with one another, celebrate with one another, and do life with one another because we need one another to live and to love well. Then together we can celebrate on that amazing day when we see Jesus coming in the clouds to restore us all. all. Then we'll be, we will be with him forever. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, um, God, I... I know because statistically it's true that someone in this room right now is struggling. Maybe it's not as intense as suicide, but who knows where the road will lead. God, may this room be a place of hope and healing. May this room be a place of restoration. May this room be a place where together we can journey after you in the human story journey after you in our brokenness, journey after you, you with our struggles, journey after you when we believe in the lies the devil puts out after us. And together we can encourage one another and lift one another up and love well. Father, we look forward to Restoration Day, Resurrection Day, when we get to see you coming in the clouds. But until then, you designed us to be your presence here in this world. So whatever it is we are all going through right now, I pray that you would continue to journey with us and help us journey with each other until that incredible day when we are restored. We love you and we thank you and we pray these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus.